I know it's not politically correct from what you could call the self-centric or the identity-centric point of view, which is the only point of view we have. So we don't usually see it as a point of view. But it is a point of view. And it's only a point of view because there are others. Others that we're not encouraged to explore particularly, or if at all. So it's not very politically correct to say it, but therapy as we normally understand it can never work. It's doomed from the onset. It's a wearisome task that we have to, at best, pretend to believe in and struggle gamely onward. We can pretend like a, a good citizen has to pretend that their country is great and their way of life is great. Now, when we pretend that, often we believe our own pretense. But even when we believe our own pretense, there's something rigid about us because by believing, we're having to fight against our disbelief. And what we generally do is we project the disbelief outwards and recognize it or interpret it as wrong-mindedness or badness or some kind of thing like that and fight against it as we perceive it in others. And that creates strife, but it also allows us to carry on not examining what's the conflict that lies at the heart of our patriotism. So this patriotism is exactly the same thing as ident the identity-centric point of view. We're paying lip service, really, and the best we can do is believe in this lip service. But it can never be a source of genuine strength. And it can never be a source of genuine meaning. And it can never be a source of insight. So we're treading this wearisome road, bereft, of any genuine strength, bereft of any real sense of meaningfulness as regards our endeavour, and thirdly, bereft of any wisdom. So that makes the whole thing pretty, pretty dreadful, really. What can we expect to obtain? Fighting a battle Deep down, we're not even sure we have to fight. And we don't, it's not really coming from a true place, in other words. And the whole thing has this sense of pointlessness, which we can either repress, deny, or we can start, you know, we can, we can feel it. And maybe when it gets to us, we'll articulate it. And then everyone else will blame us for letting the side down because we're daring to speak the truth. 
And the whole time insight is the enemy and we are pushing it away, fighting against it, trying to get rid of it one way or another. So that scenario is not a very inspirational one. And that's the scenario we're looking at when it comes to mental health as a whole in our particular rational materialistic society. It's a pretty dire picture. So when we do become in need of help, mental health wise, we're given these therapies, but these therapies are doomed from the onset. They're just rigmaroles, dreadful, dreadful, tedious old rigmaroles that we are obliged by peer pressure and by a sense of duty to embrace. So that's quite a stern criticism. And I'm sure I'll have no problem in finding people to object to that if I wanted to find people to object to it. But we can argue it, we can make it clear <clears throat> why it's possible to level a criticism such as this at our Western so-called therapies. And the point is that all of our therapies are attempts to rejuvenate and regenerate the concrete sense of identity, to shore it up, to plaster over the cracks, etc., etc., as I've been saying, on and on. So we're plastering over the cracks of a structure that is doomed anyway and which isn't us. And so, because the structure is doomed anyway, and because the structure isn't who we are, that makes it meaningless. The whole thing's meaningless. Even if we succeed, which we can't, it is meaningless. And yet, this is our duty, this is our job, this is what we're supposed to be doing, and we fight for it. And there's a sense of hopelessness. Now, I'm not saying there's a sense of hopelessness in everyone, but anyone who embarks upon therapy, rational therapy, shall we say, as opposed to the more experiential types of therapy. I would say that a lot of people don't feel hopeless about it and they feel empowered by it. But also, I'd say that anyone that has suffered from chronic long-term um, neurotic pain will confide that they find the whole thing hopeless or that there is a tendency within them to give up and find it all hopeless. And if we were to say this to our counsellor or therapist, we would be given a pep talk, no doubt. But it is hopeless. Because we are fighting, we're struggling we're embarking upon this wearisome road on behalf of something that isn't worth saving. It isn't worth saving. It isn't worth propping up. It isn't worth correcting. It isn't worth improving or developing. 
because it's a mental construct. Now, when it comes to fixing and fixing therapies, the only thing we can ever fix are constructs. We can't fix the non-constructed or the uncreated or the unmade. Obviously, something has to be having a defined existence as this and not that before we can try and fix it. So if something is defined as being this but not that, which is what all definitions do, and it starts to wander away from the template, then we can correct it or try to correct it. And that's fine. So thermodynamically speaking, this is, we're trying to seek the equilibrium the whole time, turn the system to the equilibrium the whole time. And when we're caught up in this struggle and we're seeing the small view, where all we can see is that to reach the equilibrium is good and any deviations are bad, then this makes perfect sense. Not only does it make sense, it's a compulsive endeavour. We're compelled to try and do it and we don't know why we're compelled because of the magnetism of because of the magnetism or compulsion that's created by creating a small snapshot that is based on polarity. So, as I said before, polarity is always compulsive. There's no freedom in a polarity. All we can do is obey the polarity, which is strive for the opposite that we want and fight the opposite that we don't want, whilst remaining unaware that the two opposites are the same thing and that we're not ever getting anywhere. So constructs can be fixed in a limited provisional kind of way, or rather they can be kept going for a while because they have no permanent existence either, even though they are so clearly defined. But seeing as how who we are or what we are is not a construct, it's not a defined thing. Even though we rush to the conclusion without ever examining what we're concluding that we are a defined thing, like a toaster or a teapot or a handbag or a book bookshelf. We're not. We are in essence undefined because we're not a thing. You could also say that who we are is not local in the sense that who we are is not something that's contained within locality or the paradigm of locality such that I'm here but not there. And if ever we're sitting anywhere quietly and we're in a profoundly calm and connected state of mind, we're aware that we're connected to everything, which means that we're not contained, we're not just in a category somewhere, we're not sealed off. Nothing is sealed off really apart from the construct of thought, which have to be sealed off in order to be construct. So we can't fix ourselves and we don't need to be fixed. 
because the unconstructed doesn't need to be fixed because it's not defined as being this but not that therefore we can't have the error of being it's tending to be that when actually it's supposed to be this so right or wrong doesn't arise so all of our fixing activity is profoundly misplaced what are we trying to fix and why and as I've said a couple of episodes ago, when we get hooked into the fixing, the fixing is all we know and everything seems to hang on getting the correct outcome. The whole fate of the universe, the whole fate of everything seems to hang on this, which is ridiculous because it's sublimely unimportant. It only seems important because as a result of our addiction to fixing behaviour and the, the game of fixing, our reality has shrunk. It's shrunk right down to the unbelievably petty. And so even if we do succeed in our fixing activity, we've succeeded at the price of becoming unbelievably petty. And nothing in reality is unbelievably petty. So we've actually succeeded in making ourselves unreal. And so our victories are theatrical victories. Our triumphs are illusory triumphs. And then having enjoyed our illusory triumphs, we then go on to anguish over our equally illusory setbacks. And that's the life of the concrete identity for what it's worth over and over again just write just repeat after that repeat forever and that's it there's no more to it than that so when it comes to mental health the point is not trying to fix or correct the construct but the point is to realize that we aren't the construct and stop taking the construct so very very seriously and becoming blinded by the need to defend the construct. <clears throat> so that's a different type of work. It's, it's a challenging type of work because we've always been sucked into the gravitational pull, the black hole of the construct, the self-construct, the I-concept, construct, or concept. And if we try and fight against this pull, we make the pull even more strong. So it's, as I was saying in the last two installments, so this identification is, is an art and it's got nothing to do with fixing. It has more to do with being persistently interested in the truth without any view to a reward or a profitable outcome as a result of knowing the truth. So our normal situation is that we are interested in the truth. As a culture, we're interested in the truth only if we can benefit from it or exploit it. And that's the whole of industrial capitalism. We're not interested in truth for the sake of it. So in the same way, when we apply our intelligence to 
mental health conditions. We're not philosophically interested, we only want to know as much as we need to know in order to fix it. So we're awfully incurious really. We're very blank about it. We don't experience wonder, we're not profoundly interested in the process itself and what is going on <clears throat> and what the bigger picture is. We're very, very compartmentalised. And for this reason, we're not helping ourselves at all. We really need to stop looking at everything from the wrong end of the telescope in order to get some insight or to get somewhere. So to get back to what I was started off by saying, therapy, rational therapy is a thoroughly wearisome and hopeless and doomed endeavour. As long as we're doing it in this compartmentalised way, where we're just trying to fix the self-construct and we're working on behalf of the self-construct. There is a struggle going on, but as long as we frame this struggle within the terms of the attempt of the self-construct to fix itself, that isn't the real struggle. The real struggle isn't compartmentalised, it isn't a small thing like that, it's not like um, going to the emergency department and having a bone set which for the most part, we can just think about the bone. We don't have to think about everything else. We can't do that with mental suffering. And so our struggle isn't just something that we can just focus on and ignore everything else. It's not a technical affair, is what I'm trying to say. What it is, it's a cosmic affair. Our struggle, the true nature of our struggle, is this archetypal struggle between consciousness and unconsciousness. So consciousness is arising through pain as it does arise and it's in a very precarious situation because in this world of ours consciousness is an error to be eliminated because consciousness by its very nature calls into question everything that we accept as being true because consciousness isn't big on automatically going along with what is accepted as being true. Consciousness is a troublemaker. And consciousness, no matter what sphere it arises in, is quickly smoothed out. The machine swings into action to iron it out because it's not. Consciousness is never according to the specifications. And anything that is accord correctly according with the specifications is never consciousness. So the struggle that's really happening is the struggle against the bondage and restriction of totally believing that we are this mind-created identity, this idea of ourselves. And if we could see the nature of the struggle, we would realize it isn't a technical thing at all, but it's the grand adventure of life itself, which is a struggle to 
free ourselves from the untold, unremitting misery that attends believing and being enslaved by the false mind-created world and seeing through that and realising that we are more than that which is a grand journey it's a tremendous struggle it's bigger than we can even imagine far bigger than we can imagine when we start off on it it's a tremendous thing and what I'm trying to say there is it's meaningful it's so meaningful and when we embark upon it it gives us strength and it also brings insight and wisdom and so that contrasts with the uh, the petty journey, if indeed we can even call it a journey, of positive therapy, which even at its best does no more than return us to normality. And normality was crap in the first place. That's why we were getting fed up in the first place. And all rational therapy can do is, at best, hypothetically speaking, in an ideal situation, return us to that which, as I've said, is hardly inspirational. Okay, thanks for watching.